Saturday deserves a chance. And it's really so it's sort of like a matter of attitude because last night at chapel, perfect example. You just felt like God was here and you say, man, God's touching my heart and we're excited. And then you say, well, I don't sense God in here. You know God's in here. He's here today too. Well, how come I don't sense Him as much? Like you're t- we're a little tired. and So on the days that we don't feel God here, our faith is got to say, He's still here. He's fine. It's just like this is a concrete floor. Well, on some days you come in and go... Yeah, I mean, no doubt. Well, the next day it's like, yeah, I guess it's still... Well, it's never moved. Well, what was the difference? One day you felt secure in it, the next day you got a... My sister says it this way. Uh, she told me, I said, when we were talking about our faith in Jesus, and my sister's name's Melanie, it's Emily's mom. I just love my sister to pieces because I can remember taking her to camp when she seems like it was Emily's age. You know, it's like I was much younger then, but it's like... Uh, to, to have that assurance of salvation, some people like that. Sometimes, every time you see it, you think, oh, God doesn't love me anymore, I must be lost. No. The foundation of Jesus never moves. And some days you're just sure, you, you're confident, you're saved. The next day you, you might mess up or something goes wrong. Or it's like, and it's almost like having a concrete floor. And I said, Melanie, that concrete will never change. And she says, yeah, it's almost like you got to open up the door and put your foot on it to really, yeah, it's still there. Anybody got a concrete driveway at the house? Yeah, can you imagine open up the door at night time and go, yeah, it's, it's still there, and then you're going up and go to bed. Well, it was there. And some nights you drove to bed, and if I, if I woke you up in the middle of the night and said, is the concrete driveway still there? Of course it is. That's not what kind of faith you need for Jesus. Are you saved? Absolutely. Well, you sinned yesterday, but he's forgiven me, and I'm still saved. You said, well, that seems like I'm taking God for granted. No, it's putting your faith in him. So it really boils down to a matter of attitude. Every day deserves a chance. This day deserves a I'm tired. Great. But if God gives you 24 hours, every day deserves a chance. It's really how we look at things. Let me give you an example. This is a great story in this book. I just love this. Excerpts from the Diary of a Dog. Excerpts from the Diary of a Dog. Like if you was keeping a diary. Some of you do that. Watch this. 8 a.m. Dog thinks. Here's what the dog says in his diary. 8 a.m. Oh boy, dog food. My favorite. 9.30 a.m. Oh boy, a car ride. My favorite. 9.40. Oh boy, a walk. My favorite. 10.30 a.m. Oh boy, another car ride. 10, 11.30. Oh boy, more dog food. 12 o'clock. Oh boy, the kids. 1 o'clock. Oh boy, the yard. 4 o'clock. Oh boy, the kids again. 5 o'clock. Oh boy, more dog food. 5.30. Oh boy, mom's home. 6 o'clock. Oh boy, we're playing ball in the yard. And 8.30. Oh boy, I'm sleeping in my master's bed. What kind of day is the dog at? An old boy kind of day. Excerpts from a diary of a cat. Day 243. Day 243 of my captivity. My captors continue to taunt me with bizarre little dangling toys. They dine lavishly on fresh meat while I'm forced to eat dry cereal. I'm sustained by the hope of escape and the mild satisfaction I derive from ruining a few pieces of furniture by clawing on it. Tomorrow I may eat another house plant while they're gone. I attempted to kill my captors this morning by weaving in and out their legs as they walked along, almost tripping them. I almost succeeded. Tomorrow I must try this strategy while they're at the top of the stairs. <laughs> Seeking to disgust and repulse these vile oppressors of mine, I once again induced myself to vomit on their favorite chair. It didn't work. They still seem to like me. I must try to do this on their bed next time. 
to display my diabolical disposition, I decapitated a mouse and deposited the headless body on the kitchen floor, hoping to make them mad. They only cooed and condescended and patted me on the head then. Strong little kitty. Hmm, not working. During a gathering of their accomplices, neighbors, they placed me in a solitary confinement. I overheard my confinement was due to my power of allergies on them. I must seek this out and use this as a means to my advantage to aggravate them more. I'm convinced that the other household captives are flukies, perhaps snitches. The dog is routinely released and seems naively happy to return. He's no doubt a half-wit. The bird speaks with humans regularly. He must be an informant, and I'm certain he reports me and my every move. Due to my current placement in the metal cage, his safety is assured. But I can't wait. It's only a matter of time until I get him. The day of a dog seems happy. The day of a cat seems... Said. Which one are you? Well, I would hope you say, well, sometimes, what my point is on some days, oh boy, I used to get up and do the, oh, great morning. If I would go to a cancer ward and say, Mr. Johnson, you can get up today and walk around, he'd probably say, oh boy, this is great. And yet we complain about getting out of bed. Hmm. And that just speaks to me that every day deserves a chance. On the days that I'm happy and excited, I don't want to ever be like the cat. They're picking on cats and it's supposed to be funny. But I don't want to feel like, oh, I'm miserable. Oh, it's just one more day of captivity and this is going to... No, it's not. I'm like you. I get tired too. I get a little bit aggravated. Do you ever get mad at things? Sure. I was teaching summer school last summer. I feel like I'm a nice guy. But one girl came in and she was sort of like the diary of a cat. She was all bent out of shape one day. Uh, I told her we can't really do that. Took her out in the hall and the uh, principal even came by and she was talking to her. We brought her back in. She cussed everybody out, mainly me, and walked out the door and slammed the door and walked, you know, in front of 30 people. Uh, obviously, I must not have been her favorite teacher that day. And it made me feel like, gosh, I'm awful, all the people. But you know, when she got mad, slammed the door and cussed out, who do you think the kids really looked at after that? Did they look at her or me? Her. They're going, like, what's her problem? According to her, I was the worst thing in the world. Everybody in the classroom said, you're a fine teacher, keep going. We're good with her, but it's like, gosh. But in her mind, the whole world was against her. Now that makes no more sense than a band marching by and we go left, right, left, right. And everybody's left, right, except one person. And they're going left, right, you know. And as they go by, the hundred people, they're the only one out of step. And can you imagine the parents watching the band go by and saying, look at that, everybody's out of step except my son. He's dead on it. No, it's not. Your son's out of step and the whole band's right. Quit doing that. Everybody's messing up but me. No, it's not. That girl probably thought the same thing. School's awful. Not according to my other 29 people. Sorry if I can. Is that you? You know, like just, God bless me, God. And then occasionally we'll get on the emotional high. And, oh, please. No, and then back down the next day. Ooh, you know, it's like we're schizophrenic or something. Quit being like that. God deserves, every day deserves a chance. God deserves... On the days that you're a little bit tough, I think Jesus was like that. Jesus had great days. You could sense His power. Some days He was sad. He would sit on a mountain and pray. One verse in the Bible, in Matthew, it says, I would have longed to gather you close to me like a mother hen does her little baby chicks. Hey, come sit with me. But you wouldn't come, and He felt sad. Well, Jesus having a bad day? No. He's having a great day. It's just that He feels a little sad today. That's us. 
So the bottom thing, God never leaves. He's like that concrete. He's there. Today we can enjoy our last day of chapel. Uh, I get to finish Nehemiah. In the book of Nehemiah, I think it just hits us that Nehemiah is a worker and he has had, please listen now because we've got our last day of chapel. Somebody's like, oh, can I take a nap? Well, great. Tomorrow I won't be around though. You can take a nap then. So I'd prefer you listen today and take a nap tomorrow because we only have this chance to be together. And every day deserves a chance. So here's what I want to remind you of today. Picture yourself like Nehemiah. See yourself in this story. Nehemiah loves to work on the wall. He got them worked into a fringe. It was like a pep rally. Everything's going well. Then people sort of ridicule them. What happens in the book of Nehemiah? It's like what we're going to do when we go back home. Check this next thing out. Nehemiah, in the book of this, everything's going good. And then if somebody could move in and say, watch out, things are going to be tough. I'm, I'm reminding you right now, watch out when you go home. When your friends get around you and say, what happened at camp? And you try to be like the demonic guy that got saved last night. Go home and tell them of what great things have done. Well, some people don't want to hear that. So watch out. You're going to be a little bit defeated. I'm just warning you. See, if I warn you, it won't hit you as bad. So I'm warning you. You're going to encourage, incur a few disappointments. So watch out. Well, here's how you handle disappointments. You get your building prepped. you got that plan in place, and you stick to your plan. It's a plan involved. This right here. Chapter 3, who was used? You remember this. Goldsmiths, perfume makers, neighbors, and priests. God can use us all. So don't dare say, God, I just don't think He can use me anymore. He can use everybody. Well, I'm a perfume maker. He can even use Uncle Paul with a strange hat right there. He can use Paul, the magician. What else can He do? Well, check out the next thing. Today, I want to show you something. Godly response to worldly problems. Reminder of this. When things get a little bit tough, you pray, you what? It sort of rhymes. You pray for God's love and mercy. Matthew 14, Jesus, uh, Peter was thinking, he says, save me. You have short prayers on certain days when you're in tough things. So pray, and then you do this. Work hard. And then you pray, and then you what? Rhymes a little bit. Pray, work hard. Pray and... Close to guard. Okay, let me put it in terms we can understand and go back. When you get home, you might have short prayers on certain days, but just pray. See, if I was your friend, if you call me and say, I just want to talk to you in a minute or so, I would rather you just call me and say hi to me than not call me at all. There was a coach at uh, Florida State, later at South Carolina. Uh, he said, I want, to, I want to write people and... He said, I love to keep up with my players, and I used to try to write them a letter. And if I didn't get to write them a letter, I was sort of disappointed. I want to write them a long letter. And pretty soon he says, if I wait to write the letters, I'll never contact them. And so pretty soon he said, I'm going to send postcards, and it worked so much better. He said, I'll write down a postcard, dear so-and-so. Hope you're doing well. You know, bless your family. Thanks for playing for me. A few years ago he said he'd send it. That's his way of keeping in contact with his players. And I thought, that's a pretty neat idea. I would rather get a postcard from you that's got a couple lines on it than to never hear from you. Well, I really want to... We've all heard that before. You know, I'd love to come see you, but I can't ever find the what? Find the time. I'd like to write you a letter, but I just don't ever have the time to sit down and write you a long letter. Well, can you give me ten seconds? Here, Edgar. Hope you're doing great, Rona. God bless Life Point. And you sign your name. And say, I'll tell you what, that would encourage me. Well, God says, I want you to do the same thing. Give me a... Jesus, I know I'm running late to school, but I can't go without you. Bless me today. You're cool. 
Have a good day. We've prayed. That's a quick one. And then you go and you work hard. You try to read. You try to do this. You come on that evening now that you've got a few more minutes, don't keep giving him those short prayers. How about live and out? Pray and talk to him a little bit more. But then post a guard. Always be diligent for your devil, the adversary, walks about like a roaring what? Lion. And he's going to kill more than 150 like those lions that Andy talked about. He's coming after us. I don't want to scare you, but yeah, he, he wants to devour it. matter of fact, if the devil came into this room, you know who he would go after? Anyone. Boy, he's cruel. Yeah. Well, I'm just a small child. I don't care. He'll eat you alive. The devil's at what? He'll kick you when you're down. That's the kind of adversary we have. He's cruel. So you've got to post a guard. Pray, work hard, pray, post a guard. All right, back to Nehemiah. We're finishing his story today. So Nehemiah is ready. So today, my final challenge for you is this. It's very short. It's just three things. You're going to go home. In the book of Nehemiah, he finally gets to this point. Problems confronting Nehemiah, and they'll confront us. And I'm going to tell you how you handle them. Nehemiah is such a good guy. So if you want to read along with me, you can. If not, please just listen. Nehemiah chapter 5. Now the men and their wives raised a great outcry against their Jewish brothers. Some were saying, We and our sons and daughters are numerous. In order for us to eat and stay alive, we must get grain. They were having like a famine. Others were saying, We're mortgaging our fields, our vineyards, and and our homes. And still others were saying, We have to borrow money to pay the king's tax. Although we are the same flesh and blood as our countrymen, some of them are, it's like they're charging us interest on our loans. Let me read you this part. Some of our daughters have already been enslaved. Their sons are enslaved. We're powerless because our fields and our vineyards belong to others. When I heard their outcry and these charges, I was very angry, says Nehemiah. I pondered them in my mind and then I got ready to give them some advice. And you say, well, you've lost me and all that. Let me give you the Scriptures that make sense. Let's pretend like I've got this group right here and I talk all you into going back to Roanoke and help me build life point. Now we go up there and most of you are excited and we're building a church and we build it by being there and worshiping on Sunday but then I put a hammer and a saw in your hand and we actually build a church. And you're out there pouring footers and all at once you get a phone call and we get a call, let's just pick a name, one of these names, Barbara, and Barbara gets a phone call and says, what? Yeah. Hey. Somebody back home is sort of... They're charging my family a high interest rate and they can't hardly make a house payment anymore. And then I look into it and that person charging you a high interest is actually kin to me. And then I get a couple more phone calls that families back in Tennessee are doing things that hurt us. When Nehemiah's day, it was like that. Some of the people come out and say, Nehemiah, we're rebuilding the wall. We're up here working night and day. Sam Bell and Tobiah are giving ridicule and sarcasm. They're aggravating us. And all at once, the devil comes up with a great scheme. Here's what the scheme is. They do this on a robbery. If you ever see a police show, they'll sometimes do this. They'll try a certain job that affects people. You know what the job is? It's what you call... You know how the bank's robbed? It's a... Inside job. Who robs the bank? Well, be more specific. It's what? Someone who works there. So the police show up and go, okay, the bank was robbed last night. Criminals must have broke in from the outside. And then they start saying, hey, we're not finding any Jimmy Marks on doors and windows. And the police go, this is not looking good. And then they try to find finger, hey, this is even... And then they start checking with the bank manager and they said, you know, uh, so-and-so didn't work yesterday, I don't think, or we didn't see him a lot. 
Well, you're trying to find a video camera, and we're checking it. One of the tellers is not at their desk every once in a while, and they say, you know what, we're starting to put this together. We think one of your own tellers robbed the bank. Do churches ever have inside jobs? Oh, yeah. As a matter of fact, that's what hurts the most. Because if I have a church that's growing and starting off, and we are right now, we've got about 25 in our church, and we'll grow to 30. And my sister, again, uh, she told me one day I like this. She said, you know, I almost like us this small because as we grow, what will we start to have? We'll have people come into our church who love to do what? Well, they do more than talk. We like to what? Gossip and complain. And now it's an inside job. It's people that will hurt us. And pretty soon as a pastor, I'll probably have to pull people aside and say, listen, I appreciate you, but you can't talk about so-and-so. You can't pick on Emily. You can't say that she's this or that. I've been in a couple churches in my life, sad to say. I was at a deacon meeting one time, and a preacher stood up and said, oh, you know, we really just need to pray for revival. One of the deacons took a quarter out of his pocket and pitched it across the table and said, let me know when that happens. Wow, what faith. You know what I did at that point? Punched him in the mouth. No, I, you know what I did? I just bowed my head. The rest of the meeting went on. They said amen. Everybody went out the door, and I was still sitting there, and I looked up. And this one guy came by who had done that looked at me like, that's the key, praying, isn't it? I thought, what an idiot. You don't have faith at all and you think we need to pray. When's the last time you really got on your knees? So everything was complaining. He was worse than anybody around that church could ever have been. Well, Sam Bell and Tobiah come by and they, Nehemiah, we're going to get you off this wall. And then suddenly, some people on the wall their grandma's at home hurting. You know why? Because somebody's charging them high interest on certain things. And they come and they complain and say, Nehemiah, your own Jewish people back in the home, they're, they're hurting each other. Nehemiah come off that wall and he said, okay, Johnny, who's working on the wall with me, your dad back home is charging interest on my son and he can't pay a bill. Oh, this has got to stop. And so he said this to him. He said, I'm angry with you. I pondered in my mind, and then I said, you are charging interest from your own countrymen. So I called together a large meeting to deal with him, and I said, as far as possible, we've bought back our, we paid our debts, all those things. You're now selling your brothers and sisters. When I say sell them as a slave, that means you rent somebody out, and they work in the fields real hard. And it's like, this has got to stop. I love this response. They kept quiet. Great response because they could find nothing to say. They knew they were wrong. So I continued and said, what you're doing is not right. Shouldn't you walk in the fear of God? Shouldn't you avoid reproach? In other words, shouldn't you try to help us? And let me put it in a language you can understand. So the people back home said, you know what? You don't have to make your car payment this month. You don't have to make your house payment. You don't, you don't have to do this because your dad's over there working on the wall your bills are free for a while. Oh. And everything got back to normal. And the, war, and the work continued. Inside jobs at churches can hurt you. So when you go back home, you say, I'm going to church and I'm on fire. And boy, I think a lot of people here, don't let them bother you. Here's the second little I word. It's an inside job. It's an invitation. Okay, Nehemiah, now the devil's getting real cunning. Watch this. They send a couple people out. The wall continues to be built. And a couple people would come out in chapter 6. When the word came to Sambalot, to bind Geshem and Arab, the rest of our enemies, that I had rebuilt the wall and not a gap was left in it, though up to that time he hadn't set the doors and the gates, not totally finished, 
Sam Malak Gish in verse chapter 6 sent this message. Come, let us meet together in one of the villages in the plains. We just want to sit down and talk with you. Now I'm going to ask you, y'all pretty smart group, do you really think Sam Malak and Tobiah want to talk to Nehemiah? Why did they suddenly go from enemies to friends? They're not. It's a trick. They said, Nehemiah, if you'll just come off the wall for a while, we just want to talk with you. But they were scheming to harm me. So I sent messengers to them with the reply, I'm carrying on a great project and I can't stop building this wall. Why should, I work? Why should our work stop? I can't do that. Four times they sent me the same message and each time I gave them the same answer, the work's got to keep going. Now when you get back home, you're going to have some friends like Sam Bout and Tamai. Why don't you come on, let's just pretend that one of you loves to drink. I have no idea. And you go back home and say, I've decided not to do it anymore. Your friends come out, oh, come on. Why don't you come out? We're just... Well, all right, we're not going to ask you to drink. We just want you to go to a party with us. Liar. <laughs> no, I'm just not going to go. Oh, come on, you can go with us. Now when you get there, well, just drink one. You see what they're doing to you? That's exactly what they're about. Nehemiah, come off the wall. Well, hey, honest engine, we just want to talk to you. They want to get him off the wall because as soon as Nehemiah leaves, all the workers, hey, where's our, where's our boss at? Well, if he's not working, someone would probably say, I don't guess I need to work, and the work would stop. Sam Ballot and Tobias mean. They wanted to stop him from working. Nehemiah said, no deal. Outside people can distract us. So we went from an inside job of the church. Now we're going outside. The last thing, they really hit him that hard. They probably sat around and go, Sam Ballot and Tobias says, we've got to come up with something that will really stop this wall. You notice, they said the wall is completed except for putting in the what? The gates and the doors. So it's almost... You say, well, then that sounds like victory. No. We've still got to complete it. So Sam Bellet Tobias goes, if we can stop this right now, they're just probably pacing the floor and go, I've got it! I've got a good idea. We finally hit upon a key. We've tried an inside job. We've tried an invitation from us. We'll try sort of intimidation. We will go and find somebody in the area that Nehemiah trusts. Who would he trust? A man of man of God. So they go get the priest. And they find the priest and they say, Priest, can you help us out a minute? Oh, uh, no, look up. You tell Nehemiah that you need him to come see you. That would be like finding the preacher of the town to say, Go get him because he'll trust you. And so I sneak off. The priest back in the time or the Pharisees back in the time of Jesus, the Pharisees found the guy at the last. He's named Judas Iscariot. What did they pay him to do? Betray Jesus. Judas, here's your 30 pieces of silver. Would you tell us where Jesus is? And Jesus, Judas says, I will. I'll kiss him on the cheek. When you guys show up, you'll know for sure that that's Jesus. Some people have a buying price. This priest agreed to this sneaky plan Chapter 6. Uh, one day. Well, let me read you this. They were scheming to harm me. I didn't want to go meet with them. It is reported among the nations that Gisham says it's true that you and the Jews are plotting this revolt. That's what Sam Ellen Tobias. When Nehemiah wouldn't get off the wall and go meet with him, then they started telling lies. You can tell your true friends right there. Oh, Nehemiah, you're just trying to build up this wall so you can revolt and go against the king. No, the I and the king get along great. So I sent him this reply. Nothing like what you're saying is happening. You're just making it up in your own head. You're just making this up. 
That'd be like saying, oh yeah, you go to Tapawingo because you think you're better than everybody else. That's not true. Yeah, you think you're a Christian now, so you're better than me. That's not true. I care about you and I'm going to try to tell you about Jesus. But people will make up lies about us. They were trying to frighten us thinking their hands will get too weak for the work and it will not be completed. But I prayed, strengthen my hands, Lord. So one day I went to the house of Shemaiah, the son of Delilah, the son of Methodah, who was shut in his home. So like the priest there, and he said, let us meet in the house of God inside the temple. Meet me down at the church, in other words. Let's close the temple doors because men outside are trying to kill you. Nehemiah, I've heard about this Samuel up to buy and they're going to kill you. So would you come into the church and I'll keep you safe and secure and nobody will bother you. You know that actually made sense. And for a man that was carrying his sword to the water every night, already taking off his clothes, he was exhausted. So this is the worst plan out of all these that the devil uses. He now tries to make sense. And you know what? It does make sense. Nehemiah, you're tired. You need a rest. Why don't you just go on over and sit down? Come on to the church and you can stop working for a while. You deserve a vacation. The fact of it is, he does deserve a vacation. But it was not God's will that he stopped the wall until it's completed. Now here's what you will hear. Come on. You deserve, hey, you've been to camp all week. You don't need to go to church Sunday. College students will probably hear this. Mom and dad are away. Nobody will ever know. Why don't you just, you just fill it in and you're talked into doing something. That's what you're trying to do. Me and I, nobody will know. But, but my workers are on. No, nah, we won't tell them. Come on. You just rest a while. I'm sure that's about. And so he wasn't like he was getting drunk. It wasn't like he was doing. All he was doing was he was stop. He was stopping the job if he, if he went to the church. That made sense. You're tired, you're exhausted. Come on over. It's like the devil telling Jesus, you don't have to go to the cross. Yeah, I do. Matter of fact, Simon Peter, one of his own disciples one time, when Jesus basically said this, I've got to go to the cross and shed my blood. I've got to pay for the sins of men. And Simon Peter says, no, you don't. You know what Jesus says? Pretty stern words. He said, get thee behind me, Satan. That's a nice one. Peter, you call me Satan? <laughs> it's like, what do you mean? It's like, get behind me with that idea because that's not a godly idea. But I don't want to see you suffer on the cross. But if I don't, nobody can be saved. Good idea. I don't want to see Jesus suffer either. But He's got to to pay for sins. It's like a baby. Here, let me inoculate you. And put, Ow, that'll hurt the baby. That'll make the baby cry. If I don't give him this, he's going to die. Better give it to him. Okay. Then sometimes we got to... Yeah. Nehemiah's a pretty smart guy. Maybe he had had his devotions because every day deserves a chance. But I said, should a man like me run away? Should a man like me get off the wall? Should a man like me go into the temple to save his life? I will not go. And as soon as I said, I realized that God had not sent him to me, but that he had prophesied against me because Sanballat and Tobiah yeah, had hooked up and paid him the light. He had been hired to intimidate me so I would commit a sin by getting off the wall. And that way they would give me a bad name, discredit me with my workers. So I decided I can't get off the wall. Mm. This wall's got to be rebuilt. Jesus says three words when he finally left this world close to it. Uh, it is finished. Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. And then he rested. You can't tell me that Jesus didn't deserve a rest. The Bible often says he got up really early. Uh, I think he was out late. 
he constantly worked, but he never had, the Bible says he didn't have a place to lay his head. In the three years of his ministry, he left his home, basically just went around healing, preaching. Had to be tired. Well, Nehemiah's uh, going to get this work done. He finally realizes that this is a cheating trick, and he goes back to building. He's considering, no, and he goes back to building the wall. Here's my favorite verse out of Nehemiah. You ought to memorize this. Chapter 6. So the wall was completed on the 25th of Jule in 52 days. This impossible job has now been done in less than two months. The wall was completed on the 25th of Jule in 52 days. When our, all our enemies heard about this and all the surrounding nations saw it, our enemies lost their self-confidence because they realized that this work had been done with the help of God. Basically, God's back in town now. Can I give you some just a real practical word of advice? Sometimes you're going to sin and you're going to mess up. First John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2 says this. Verse 1, My little children, that'd be like young people, that's what John's writing, don't sin. My little children, don't sin. Verse 2, But when you do, what's that imply? You will. But when you do, Ask forgiveness because we have a person that will forgive us. That's Jesus. Nehemiah learned this great lesson. I'm going to pass it on to you right now. You can't quit building the wall. On days that he was tired, on days he was hungry, on days that he got mad at his own church, he quit charging interest back on you, killing the work on the wall. He probably got aggravated. He got, it, the Bible says, I was angry. So we're going to have days that we get aggravated, but we still got to get back to work. Well, what's our wall? What are you talking about? That's living for Jesus. That's our wall. When will our wall be completed? When we get to go to heaven. When we die one day, when God comes back and gets us, that's our wall completed. So you mean I get to continue to yeah, work on the wall. But let me give you a real big seat. Some days you'll mess up. But watch this. If you can just string together a few victories, you can have a victory here and a victory there pretty soon. It's almost like, it's not like, I can't sin anymore. Don't ever think that. But it's almost like the more victories you do, what's the devil? He loses a little bit more of a stronghold on you. And you, the te- things that used to tempt you, they don't really bother you as much anymore. That's exactly what this, he says, when we completed the wall, our enemies shrank back. They lost their confidence and they didn't really spend the ballot to buy. What could they say? The wall's done. You know this thing that you said we couldn't do? Here it is in 52 days. So if I can just string together a few victories and pretty soon I don't get overconfident but say, hey, what? I've made it. Here's what bothered me a little bit with young people and I feel like I could just sort of kick you. I wouldn't really do that. But you'll have a great day and a great day and a great day and you'll have about 25. And one day you'll just get aggravated. Let's say you say 15 cuss words out of your mouth and kick a cat across the road and you say, gosh, I'm a failure. Wait a minute, you had 25 great days. What's wrong with you? Well, I messed up. Sure you did. But ask forgiveness and get right back to building the wall. But you will sit there and sit the 25 good days. You know what you dwell on? The day you messed up. <sighs> messed up yesterday. I really know. I know. I'm mad. I'm just, ugh. And the devil loves that because he's now got your distraction. He's got you off the wall. He's got you down there messing with you. Don't be distracted from building the wall. <clears throat> Well, what can I do? Well, I'll tell you the biggest hint. Let me tell you, finish with this one right here. And I'll be through. The last chapel. What's impossible to build a wall? What seems impossible to you, the wall was built. Let me tell you about one more thing that needed to be built. 
Can you look up to me right here? This was my last time with you. I want to make sure you understand this. When something needs to be built, let's ask God to build it. There was somebody that needed something built. Listen to this. It's no accident that New Mexico is called the land of enchantment. Sprawling deserts spotted with sage. Purple mountains wreathed in clouds. Adobe homes hidden on hillsides. Majestic pines. Endless artifacts. A cloverleaf of cultures from the conquistador to the Comanche to the cowboy. New Mexico enchants. And in this land of enchantment, there is a chapel. A chapel that may cause you to wonder. Because it is a chapel of wonder. A block south of La Fonda Hotel in Santa Fe on the corner of Water Street and Old Santa Fe Trail, you will find a place called the Laredo Chapel. As you step through its iron gates, you enter more than a chapel courtyard. You enter another era. Pause for a moment under the sprawling branches of the ancient trees. Imagine what it was like when the Mexican carpenter completed the chapel in 1878. Can you see the settlers stomping through the muddy streets? Can you hear the donkeys braying? The wagon wheels groaning with the weight? And can you see the early morning sun spotlighting the Gothic chapel, so simple, so splendid, as it sets against the backdrop of the desert hills? Laredo Chapel took five years to complete. Modeled after the Saint Chapelle in Paris, its delicate sanctuary contains an altar, a rose window, and a choir loft. But the choir loft is a reason for wonder and a reason for this story. When you stand, were you to stand in the newly built chapel in 1878, you might see the Sisters of Laredo looking forlornly at the balcony because everything else was complete. The doors had been hung, like Nehemiah got the doors up. The pews had been placed in the chapel. The floor had been laid beautifully. Everything was finished except the choir loft was finished except for one last thing. The choir loft's up there, but there's no way to get from the floor to the choir loft. One little thing, there's no stairs. The chapel is too small to accommodate a conventional stairway. The best builders and designers in the region shook their heads when consulted, and they said this word. Same thing they told Nehemiah. Impossible. You can't build this wall. People told these sisters of Laredo, it's impossible. They murmured. There simply wasn't enough room. A ladder would serve the purpose of getting up there, but it would mar the ambiance of the whole building. So the sisters Laredo, whose determination had led them from Kentucky to Santa Fe, now faced a challenge greater than their journey. They wanted a stairway that could be built. What they had dreamed of and what they could do were separated by 15 impossible feet. So what would they do? What's what you do when you don't feel your walls getting built? God, I'm miserable today. I had 25 good days, but boy, I really messed up. Then you pray. Then you get on your knees and you pray and say, God, be merciful to me. You've promised us we confess our sins, you'll forgive us and get me back on the wall. So you just see God's face. And not just a quick prayer, like we said, well, you pray, you work hard, and you pray, and then you place guard, but you got to really pray. You get on your... These people, I guarantee you, they pray hard. What they do... They ascended a mountain. No, not the mountain near Santa Fe. They ascended an even higher mountain. They climbed the same mountain that Jesus climbed in a garden. They climbed the mountain of prayer. So they prayed for the impossible to happen. And lo and behold, here's what happened. As the story goes, the nuns prayed for nine days. On the last day, a Mexican carpenter with a beard and a wind-burned face appeared at their convent. Mm. He explained that he had heard that they needed a stairway 
to a chapel loft. He thought he could help him build the stairway. The mother superior had nothing to lose, so she gave him permission to build the stairway. He went to work with crude tools, painstaking patience, and uncanny skill. For eight months he worked hard. And then one morning the sisters Laredo entered the chapel like you would today, and they looked up to find their prayers answered. A masterpiece of carpentry spiraled from the floor to the loft. And there it is. It started off at the bottom, and it went two complete 360-degree turns up to the choir loft. The thing about it is, it doesn't have any support to it. It's wooden pegs driven in, so it's, no mean pole. it's not a main pole going up. So in essence, it doesn't even look like it's supported. So these nuns prayed for someone to build them a star. They would have never thought about this herself. So this amazing carpenter built... Two, not one, but two complete 360 degree turns all the way to the spire in the choir loft. What kind of carpenter could do that? Hmm. Or maybe it's the son of a carpenter that did that. One more of the sisters of Laredo entered the chapel to find their prayers had been answered. A masterpiece of carpentry spiral from the floor to the loft. Two complete 360 degree turns. 33 steps held together with wooden pegs and no central support. The wood is said to be a variety of hard fern, one that you can't even find in the Santa Fe area. So I guess he brought his own wood to build the staircase. When the sisters turned to thank the craftsman, they couldn't find him. He was gone. He was never seen again. He never asked for money. He never asked for praise. He was a simple carpenter who did what no one else could do so singers could enter a choir loft and sing praises. You can see the stairwell for yourself if you like. Journey into the land of enchantment. Step into this chapel of amazement and witness the fruit of prayer. Or if you prefer, you can just talk to the master carpenter himself. He's already performed one impossible feat in your world. He, like the Santa Fe carpenter, built a stairway so you could ascend to some place. We could ascend from this earth to heaven. We can't get there without him. And he, like the nameless craftsman, used material from another place. And he, like the visitor to Laredo, came to span the gap between where you are and where you long to be. Each year of his life is a step, 33 places. Each step of the stairs is an answered prayer. And he built it for you so you could climb and sing praises to God. Well, is that a miracle? I would think so. They have no explanation of how that stairwell got there. Today I'll just remind you when you've got to build that wall, some days you say, I don't know how I can do this. you just got to get on your knees and ascend the stairwell. Master Carpenter Jesus waits for us. So let's talk to him. Would you bow your heads? Jesus, today on this last day of chapel, some hearts in here are tugged and they realize that's what I need to do. I need to ascend to a higher place where I can praise you. And one day we get to walk into heaven where the angels sing every hour of the day, holy, holy, holy. To some of us, we'll just join the chorus. To some, we might feel like it's something we haven't done enough on earth. So Jesus, if there's people here that are away from you, draw them close. And for somebody here that doesn't even know you on this last day of chapel, helping to realize you're the carpenter for us and you build us a way to get to heaven. You are our stairway to heaven. You're like that bridge. You're like a, a means to get to God. 
You told us in the Bible that no one can get to the Father except through you. So Jesus, today we're going to pray to the Master Carpenter and Son of God. Jesus, uh, every time you get us drawn to you, get our attention, you sort of perform that miracle. You did this week. You got some people saved and their names are written down in the Lamb's Book of Life in heaven. That's a miracle. And just like a stairwell, we don't know how it happens, really. You just tug at her heart and we respond and you save us miraculously. And I don't know how that... It's hard to describe. Jesus, some people are going to go back next week and on certain days, this is the answer to their problem. they just got to get on their knees and pray. So when problems hit us, we just need to pray. Today, Jesus, I give you the praise. Every day deserves a chance. This is the day the Lord has made, so I'll rejoice and be glad in it. And that's easy to say on our great emotionally packed days, but on the days that it's tough, I'm going to still say it. This is the day you've made, so may I rejoice and be glad in it. We're going to send this stairway of prayer right now, Jesus, as we offer praises. With your head bowed and your eyes closed one last time, just be real quiet. Don't look around. Don't be distracted. Heads bowed, eyes closed. If God has spoken to you this week, if you've accepted Him as your Savior, if you have dropped weights, if you've been drawn closer to Him, if you've been challenged at all, if you think, I've got an idea, I'm going to go back in this week, it's sort of like getting close to God and staying on track, it's sort of like building a wall. If God has worked something in your heart this week, if He's built a stairway, so to speak, to, so we can better sing praises to Him, Again, don't look around. Would you just slip your hand up as a testimony to God if He's worked in your life this week? Mm-hmm. And you can slip them back down. You see just now when you put your hand up, Jesus smiles and says, did I do all that this week? Of course, He knows what He does. But if He could be like one of those, wow, look at all the praise you just give me. So I built that many staircases and stairwells so you could get to me. Yep, I love that. Because God's real. And people say there is no God. Oh, they just haven't been around us, have they? God's alive and well. If you've got an item on your heart today that still needs to get settled, would you send your heart, hand up to heaven? Anything at all? Goodness. God's still working on people. And he works on us all, but He's specifically naming something. Okay. Jesus, I lift these people up just like those nuns prayed. I lift these guys up that just raised their hand that you've reminded them of something that they need to do with you. Oh, it's amazing. When we bow our heads and close our eyes and we pray to you, it's like the world is locked out and it's like we're ascending that staircase and you're allowing us to be drawn closer to you, the staircase of prayer. And just like Nehemiah built a wall, we've got the staircase built. There's no reason not to praise you. So, Lord Jesus, I lift these guys up. Will you help them with those problems, please? Can I ask you to do that on their behalf? And Jesus, remind us next week to keep the sin in this prayer staircase. And on the days that uh, we feel, oh, Lord, it's just so tough, help us to keep praying because you are faithful. And every day that you've made deserves a chance. So, Lord Jesus, I lift us up today. Those that had their hands up, and Jesus, I lift us all up to you. We all need to be drawn closer to you. And I, like you, would think, love to think that every camper in this room is solid on ground. 
But just like you said, I'd love to draw you like a mother hand does her chicks, but some of you wouldn't come. I'm afraid that some people will go home and still not really see the Jesus that I'm talking about right now. Lord, may you continue to work even as we leave camp this week. I praise you for all that you've done. I love you, Jesus. Thanks for loving me first. In Jesus' name, amen.